Hello, Hoopaholics. It's Coach Spins here from the Boxing One podcast, back with another episode. I'm really excited about this one because it means that we're actually talking about prospects for the 2023 NBA draft. Like, folks, it's time. It's mid-September. Let's just dive right in here. And, and no best, no guest better to come and, and really handle one of these first conversations than Bryce Simon. You know him as Motor City Hoops Online. Puts out a ton of great video content, breaking down prospects in a way that I think is very similar to you know the type of eye that we like to use here with how we scout. So should be a really fascinating uh, deep dive into the nuts and bolts of players and, and what their projectable roles are going to be. But Bryce, thank you so much for being here. How's everything going for you, my friend? I'm good, Adam, man. Thank you so much for having me. We've been connected, uh, you know, for a little while now. We're finally able to do something, work together. And I was uh, I was juiced whenever you reached out, said, hey, come on the pod. I'm like, yes, I don't care who we talk about, what we talk about. I am there, Adam. And so I'm excited uh, with what you have in store for us this episode. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Our conversation is going to center around five players who we see as having major boom or bust potential. The boom could be as high as top 10, if not lottery. The bust could be, we realize this guy needs a lot of work in his game. He's just not quite there yet to, to really be a strong, solid, maybe even first round prospect this year in 2023. But before we get to any of that, we've got a time-honored tradition that we always start with here on the Box and One. It's that basketball philosophy question. And Bryce, you're a coach. So you're going to be able to attack this from a pretty experienced and nuanced type of position. You ready for it? Yes, sir. All right. So the situation is that there's 18 seconds to go and you are down four with only one timeout remaining. It's your ball inbounding in the full court, meaning you're attacking uh, a full 94 feet. Do you go for a quick two to try to cut that deficit to only two points? Or are you going for a three-pointer right away? So... My immediate thought, Adam, is well, I have a lot. There's there's all sorts of factors that I want to consider. And I don't know how deep we want to get into the weeds on this, you know, in terms of how good is my team offensively, how good is my team defensively. I think one of the big things is how good of a free throw shooting team is my opponent. Do I have a guy pinpointed that I know I can foul and is gonna miss free throws? How good am I at creating turnovers or pressing? But in general, just to quickly answer your question, Adam. I would say I'm just going to give the ball to my best player and I'm going to tell him to go get a bucket, whether that's a three, whether that's a two, go score it. I have that timeout in my pocket. If the possession starts to not look so hot, if I have a good team that I really think can execute a play, maybe we have a set we've worked on in practice, then maybe I go to that for the three pointer. But in general, especially as I've gone through my career, um, I'm just going to let my guys play and, and let them go make a play and, and go get a bucket. Yeah, I, I like that. Uh, for me, it always comes back to being definitive, right? When we practice late game situations, I want sure. our guys to know exactly what it is that we're trying to accomplish on the court. You know, if we're down in this type of scenario, we're down four, I want our guys to know that hey, we're trying to get as many bites at the apple at this as we want. So we're going to go quick two, quick two, quick two, as many times as we can to see if they're going to miss free throws. I think that's a huge and important piece that you brought up initially is what's the free throw shooting ability of the other team. You know, if they've got three guys out there that are a little bit iffy or there's somebody who's missed a really crucial pair of free throws earlier in the game that we feel we can target and put on the line and that's our opportunity to crawl back in, then maybe you don't need to go for the three-pointer. Um, but it, it's it, it's hard to find the balance between reading the individual situation and having a general philosophy that your own players know to expect when they find themselves in a late game situation. And that's why coaching these is so difficult in a lot of situations, because you have to be reactive to what's going on around you while also putting the work in in practice to prepare your guys to succeed in those moments. Yeah. And again, I think it has a lot to do with knowing your team. And I, I know maybe people think that's a cop-out answer sometimes, Adam, but one of the years I had the most success in late game I just had a kid who I really trusted with the ball in his hands and I didn't want to take it a timeout and let the defense get settled. He was really good. That team was really good. The other team scored, we'd get the ball in, he'd get it and he would just attack. And multiple times that year, he made a late game bucket, just getting to the rim, being aggressive. And so if you have a team that's not good at that, you call a timeout, you, you set up a play, you know, those type of things. You just got to know your squad. 
Yep. KYP, baby. Know your personnel. Always, yes, always, always. So, <laughs> all right, Bryce, let's, uh, let's dive into what we actually came here to talk about. Five prospects, boom or bust. And we kind of defined that earlier, but I think that that's an important thing for us to hit on here before we actually talk about the nitty gritty of these players. So defining boom or bust to me, and I'll, I'll let you, you know, show your two cents there. If you disagree or have another spin to put on it. But for me, it's guys who based on their play style or their tools and upside can go as high as being in the top 10, if not the lottery in this draft, if all of those things hit right. Like I can see almost, I don't want to say superstar upside, but really, really high caliber player that they can evolve into this year in college. But, and there's a, a big if for if all of those things go right. You yeah, know, they could they could go in the opposite direction and, and show that they're not consistent, that they need to go back to school for for one, you know, reason for another and they're just not ready to declare this year or you know, there's one major flaw in their game that is going to prevent them from moving all the way up into the top 10. A lot of things can happen, but really high ceiling and high potential that that we recognize while also being really cognizant of like, it may not click right out of the gates. Any other thoughts? No, I think I would agree with that. I think what you hit on was there's like maybe this one thing where if this thing hits, Adam, man, you can really see this player pop. Or maybe like with, I think the first guy we're going to talk about, or at least one of them with Brandon Miller is if it doesn't hit, well, now what is his role, Adam? Because that's huge. If he's not a number one guy, if he's not a lottery pick, does he possess the other skills to be a good skill guy um, or, or sorry, role player type guy? And then where does his value end up if he's kind of a not a number one option? So I think that's what plays into these things as well. No doubt about it. And I think that's the perfect time to dive in right here to Brandon Miller, freshman at Alabama, uh, you know, maybe somewhere in the six, eight to six, 10 ballpark with, with where he's listed. Uh, really was, I don't want to say underrated coming out of high school in a lot of regards, but wasn't seen as a consensus, you know, first round type of prospect expected to be a one and done. He opened some eyes playing in AAU last summer by just being a tough shot maker. And I'll get into what that means in a second, because I have my own thoughts about being a tough shot maker, but he exploded this summer. Alabama went and played some international trips and Brandon Miller came away with a ton of buzz, not just from the people on that coaching staff, but anybody who is around them and has been around workouts at the facilities there in Tuscaloosa. He's the one guy that continues to come up uh, late game, late clock scoring prowess just can go out there and create his own shot. And with his size, if he's able to do that against high level defenses and competition, I mean, we're talking about rarefied air of, you know, Guys who are able to do that consistently generally turn into NBA type of all-star talent. So it's definitely uh, within reach that if he's close to that level of performing to his ceiling, we're talking about him as a top 10 pick next year. W what's your initial analysis on, on Brandon having you know, dove into a little bit of the film on him? Yeah, I mean, I think that's where I'm at is the tough shot making. And that's where, you know, why we're starting with him is if that hits – Adam, then yeah, I can see where he ends up in the lottery. I, I, I want to shoot this back to you real fast. I kind of had some questions about the shot and I'm not like a huge mechanical guy, but I thought it was a little bit of a low release, a little bit of a set shot. Now I haven't seen the film from this summer, but I didn't love the mechanics of the shot. So it, it looked flat at times. And so if he's going to be a tough shot maker off the bounce, I'm not sure I loved what I saw. You know, Derek Whitehead, I think, is a tough shot maker as well. But I really fell in love with his shot whenever I watched him. I'm not sure I can say the same thing about Brandon Miller. Am I being overly critical with that? I don't know if you're being overly critical. I think that I did not have him pegged as a knockdown shooter coming in. And part, okay. of, that, part yeah. of that is mechanics. But I, I also know that what he's – despite the low release – He's really good at just scoring when it seems like there's no angle left to be able to get a shot off at. And guys who are consistently able to do that, you have to evaluate a little bit differently in my mind because the standard rules don't apply. They've already proven that they can you know, create magic out of nothing. And 
my question isn't as much about the consistency of the release or the shot. It's more so the value in having a guy who doesn't really create easy looks for himself and has to rely on making tough shot after tough shot after tough shot. Like there's always a certain point when an elite level defender can go on one of those guys and the tough shots that you're used to making kind of disappear a little bit. And that happens more in the postseason than it does in the regular season. But to me, that's what you draft for is postseason success and guys who can be the number one option on a really successful playoff team. And, and that's to me, he just, he doesn't create enough easy looks for himself. Yeah. And I think he's not one of these super high level athletes. You know, I mean, the, the Thompson twins are in a completely different level than right. most guys anyway, but he's still like, I'm not saying he's a bad athlete by any means, but he's not just this explosive athlete. I will say this. I didn't think he created or like created these easy advantages like you're talking about. I did like his passing. I was mm-hmm. intrigued by some just subtle things, Adam. Uh, I think one of the games I watched, he, they were getting pressed and just the angles he created against the press, being able to pass it with his weak hand off the bounce, like those little subtle things. I was like, okay. And then I watched an Alabama practice and he threw like a hook pass um, off the ball screen to the weak side guy. So as much as he's going to have to have the ball in his hands, that passing acumen will come into play as well. I'm not saying I'm sold on it, but he did some things that were intriguing. He's super skilled with the ball in his hands. And that, you know, the complaints about the tough shot making are more about his athleticism than his skill yeah. level. He doesn't settle for things. He's not a, a low IQ basketball player who's just going out there trying to pull for his. I think there's room to grow and add a little bit more passing and playmaking IQ, but he just doesn't get to the rim a ton for clean looks on the offensive end. Now, uh, I, I'm going to be watching a lot of defense for him, to be honest with you. I think that that's one area where you would mention off the top, if he's not a high-level, high-volume, really efficient, just number one or number two type of option projectable scorer, what is he adding? Because he's not a great off-ball player on offense, He's not a tremendous athlete who you figure is going to figure out ways to just be impactful because of it. And I worry that defensively he's kind of in that tweener position. Yes. There's, you know, there's a difference between being multi-positional and being a tweener. Multi-positional is you guard multiple things. Well, being a tweener is you can play at different spots based on what your team needs you to do or where they can hide you best, but you're not going to excel at, any of those positions. And I think that Miller is dangerously close to being on that side of the line. Yeah. I put it in my notes. I hated that defensively, they kind of had him playing as a big with his high school team. And it's because I guess I thought going into the film work that he was pegged a little bit more as like a, a three, a small forward. And not that we have to put guys into these boxes. Okay. But I just wanted to see what he could do defending on the perimeter. And again, I, I got on YouTube, there's some film of Alabama practice And he'll do one thing. I'm like, oh, that was a nice little rotation there from Brandon Miller. Like he saw it. And then two possessions later, he's getting backdoored and completely loses his man whatsoever. I realize he's a freshman. I realize defense is sometimes hard to judge with these prospects. But I do think there's question marks. It's not like he was just taking over. Like Keontae George is a guy I watch and I'm like, this guy flat out gets after it. You know what he can bring defensively. Brandon Miller, there's at least questions defensively on what he can do. Yeah. So just to, to frame that in the overall view of his draft stock, high potential, just a good body, skilled playmaker, but unbelievable one-on-one scorer who, who I think thrives in the mid-range more than anywhere else right now, but does have some tools to work with to continue to grow and expand that game. Got to get a little bit better with the shot consistently from three, maybe put a little more pressure on the rim, and work on the defensive end to prove exactly what his position is going to be on the floor. If he can do two out of those three, if not all three, to go along with high-volume scoring, I don't think it's absurd to think that he's a top-10 pick this year. Yeah, I mean, because that high-level scoring, that tough shot-making, there is something to be said for a guy that has to do that because he had to do that with his high school team, right? Like, he didn't have any choice. And so there is something to be said for guys that have been put in that position and the value that that can bring to a team. 
Yep. And the nice part about Alabama is Nate Oates spreads the floor so well on offense. You know he's going to be surrounded by shooters. There isn't much of an excuse for, you know, not having kick out opportunities in the offensive end. And to me, because they go a lot of five out, rim pressure excuses are gone. A lot of times in college, you'll see some wings or some guards who don't get to the rim a ton, and you can excuse it by they always have a big man posted down low. Where is it that they're supposed to guard? There's already so many bodies. And I, I think in a five-out system like NATO's runs, that rim's going to be open. If he's not getting there now, it's probably not going to happen at the next I, I, As someone that covers the Pistons, that's my Jay Nivey excuse, <laughs> uh, Adam, is you, Purdue plays the two bigs all the time. How's he, how are you expecting to get to the rim? So, um, But yeah, the, the excuses, because I did put that in my notes for his high school team. It's not like spacing was great for him, so it will be nice to see him in an environment where the spacing should be there. And let's find out if he can create those opportunities. All right. So let's, let's confuse the casuals now and move <laughs> from Brandon Miller to Leonard Miller. This is, this is going to be the Miller time podcast. I should have cracked one open here and made sure that we were, uh, we were ready. Cause we're going to talk about a bunch of guys with the last name Miller right now, but Leonard Miller playing for the G league ignite. He had been at, I believe Fort Erie international Yep. last year and, and really had gotten a lot of, of hype as like a 6'10 guard wing handler with some shooting touch, a good athleticism, but just really, really raw. He went over the summer, initially had, had tried to declare for the 2022 NBA draft and played at some, some pre-draft events, just showed straight off that he wasn't ready, didn't have a lot of the habits that were necessary, both in terms of how hard he needs to play and all the little things that players need to be able to do to impact the game on the on both ends of the floor. Miller, Leonard Miller here, is incredibly naturally talented, but I think that there's a lot of his game that has coasted at lower levels because he's been the most athletic, the most unique type of talent, and plays with the ball in his hands a ton. There are a lot of questions, again, about scalability. Can he fulfill a certain role other than just playing with the ball in his hands that he needs to be able to show this year with the G league ignite, but a very different type of developmental circumstance, which changes the way that we're going to view him as a prospect. If he can show a lot of those things by playing against G league competition and really come around by the end of the season, that's as strong of an endorsement as you can find for a player who's just going to keep getting better. Well, and he's going to be put in a position where he's going to have to prove his value off ball because that basketball is going to be in Scoot Henderson's hand. If it's not in Scoot's hands, then there's something wrong because yeah. that kid can flat out play. And he's one of my favorite guys in the draft. I know he's everybody's favorite, but I just really enjoyed watching him play in general. Yeah, Leonard Miller was a tough one for me, Adam. Again, I don't like to like really get into the mechanics, but I'm not sure I bought the shot. Yeah. With that said, he made some tough ones where I'm like, goodness, if he makes those, then forget about it because he does do a lot of really nice creative things with the ball in his hands. He's a lefty, which at the end of the day, I just feel like gives you know players a natural advantage because for whatever reason, defenses can't figure out to make failures go right. You know, it just <laughs> it is what it is. You're a coach, I'm sure you've said it over and over. So um uh, to me, it comes down to the shot. It comes down to the motor. Like you said, defense. Here's the other thing. Are we going to be able to really scout that defensively in the G League? Are we really going to be able to scout what his defense is? Because even this last cycle, I had people tell me, oh, you can't really you know, put too much stock in the G League defense. They don't play defense down there. I don't know if that's true or not. Dyson Daniels did. You know, He played defense. But I kind of wonder if he's going to get a pass like, oh, it's just the G League. He'll start playing defense in the NBA. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one. Uh, I think with Miller, it's the habits that need to change for him. Yeah. Um, and I would be more concerned with the rotational defense, the engagement off ball, than necessarily the ability to move his feet and be you – know, always in perfect position on the catch or, or being able to shut down guys one-on-one. -on -one. Like I want to see what growth and progress he's making, or at least how far away he's going to be to develop as a help defender, you know, six ten, long arms, really fluid. You look at him in theory, he should be a multi-positional defender, somebody who's at least a positive for your unit on that end of the floor. 
but it comes back to footwork. It comes back to habits. The same thing on the offensive end. You mentioned the shot and not knowing if you really want to buy into that. His footwork is atrocious as a shooter <laughs> to me. Like really, he's got sweet touch. He has the ability to make tough ones, but he's never set pre-catch. His you know front, it, they're never aligned to the basket in the same way. Two shots in a row. They're staggered in different ways outside of his hip space, too wide, too narrow, just so many things that he's got to be able to clean up on that end. And, and it's going to be a, a testament to this Ignite coaching staff if they're able to get it there. But the reason we're bringing him up is because he's 6'10", kind of a natural scorer with a good handle and, and a decent feel with the ball in his hands, and can, you know, if he fixes up a lot of these habits, can be a really impactful player where if the year goes well for him, we know that he has the upside to do these things. And if he's talked about as a first-round pick, it's because he's proven he can play off-ball. If we're looking at the combination of those two things, like this is a top half of the first-round type of talent. Yeah, absolutely. Talent-wise, there's no doubt. And I noticed the same thing with his feet. Like He scissor-kicks his feet on the landing, but then sometimes it's more. Sometimes it's. I wondered if it was a strength thing with him, and maybe as he gets stronger, maybe just repetition. And maybe that's why G League Ignite will be the best place for him. Like Those guys are going to coach him up with his footwork. You know, for myself, I never got coached up on my footwork until I was division. I played two years at JUCO. Nobody worked with me on right, left, left, right, getting, you know, those type of things, just in, beyond just the basics. And so he's going to get coached up really well, hopefully with the G League night and fix some of those things. I, I do like the all around skill level, the handle, his ability to get to the rim. I think he's going to have to get creative down there. I don't think he's an Uber athlete again. But with strength and those type of things, he'll be a better finisher. I will say he had one possession in the high school tape where he came over and just played with verticality at the rim as a weak side rim protector. It's like, yes, yes, that's all you have to be able to do. And so maybe those subtle things like you're talking about, we'll see those this season and he'll continue just to, to flash them at least. Sure. Uh, in comparison with Brandon Miller that we spoke about earlier, uh, do you have one prospect that you would put more stock in as being able to, to turn out better, whether it's just this year and, and saying, I think this guy's going to be a more ready to go pro after year one or somebody that you think has a, a higher ceiling than the other or more realistic chance of reaching it? I think I would put more stock into Leonard Miller's ceiling. I think he has a higher ceiling. I would put more stock into Brandon Miller if the two if they're not going to make their ceiling. Brandon Miller becoming a you know a player in the NBA. Like to me, Leonard Miller's floor and ceiling is wider than Brandon's. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Sure, and I'm I'm a pretty big fan of Brandon. Uh, you know, I have him as like a top 15 or 16 prospect coming into the season, and think that that can take another leap if he just continues to show he scores at a really really high level. So I tend to be a lot higher on him than Leonard. Uh, but I, again, the ceiling is super high for a guy like Leonard just because athletically he can do a little bit more than Brandon. Yeah. And, and my thing with Leonard is like, while I have questions with Brandon, what he does off the ball, I have more questions with Leonard, Adam. I have more questions what he's going to do off the ball. And again, he may disappear because the ball is going to be in Scoot's hands. Yeah, it, no doubt about it. I mean, if, if, we're going to be able to tell right away yes, what yes. Leonard Miller looks like off ball and how prepared he is for that role because Scoot Henderson is going to find ways to get him wide open shots. Yes, now, yes. There, there can be a higher ceiling of things to tap into, but we should be able to identify at least a, a reasonable area of where the floor is through this first year. Yes, I agree. All right. So uh, I failed us here because I did not, sub you know, I did not, get a Miller light sponsorship for this podcast because we're actually going to go to a third guy with the last name Miller here, Baba Miller, uh, Florida state freshman incoming, like somewhere between six ten and seven feet tall continues to get bigger and longer. Every time that I see him, I am a huge fan of Baba okay. Miller's game. Uh, while recognizing that he has shown flashes of everything and consistency of nothing. I am so intrigued by the flashes, the skill level and how it looks when it comes together, that this is a more intriguing prospect to me than Alexei Pokashevsky. This oh. is the long-term I really want to dive into. If I'm a general manager trying to build a lineup of unorthodox wonky type of players <laughs> who don't fit 
a certain type of mold, Baba Miller's the one guy I feel like I need to have. And developmentally, it's going to be a big year for him. But before we, we talk about the circumstances at Florida State and, and a little bit more about my man crush on, on Baba, what's your take? I mean, he's going to end up with the Thunder or the Raptors, right? That's where Baba Miller has to end up is with one of those organizations. Um, the first thing I noticed right away when watching the film is he was definitely a kid that grew up playing on the perimeter and just now has you know grown to seven feet almost. You can tell the difference between big guys who are playing on the perimeter and perimeter players who just happen to be six foot 11 or seven foot, you know, think about Kevin Durant. He, he moves like a perimeter player and Bob, I'm not comparing. So please, you know, nobody (laughs) take the comparison at all. I'm not comparing. I'm just saying Baba moves like a perimeter player when you watch him now, absolutely. The idea of who this kid is, is, you know, far more than the practicality of it right now. But I think he's still trying to figure out how to use his, you know, six foot 11 body and do all of these things. But it's just, it's so intriguing. I thought he attacked closeouts well. Um, the shot is a little bit questionable. I go back and forth with that a little bit. Um, but defensively, I was kind of impressed too. I was like, here's this six eleven dude and he's able to get over the top of ball screens and move out there and guard. I just think he's very intriguing and, and obviously disruptive with his length. Yeah, I, I actually buy the shot. Uh, I, okay. I think that that's probably the most impactful part of his offensive game right now. I think he's a smart passer, obviously yes. athletic enough to be a, a really good finisher. But you note, you know, being a, a big guard, essentially, somebody who's gotten used to playing on the perimeter and has always done that, it's evident in the way that he handles the basketball, the way that he moves in transition, he can create for others. Those are the skills that you look for more than just a big guy who can move. It's a big guy who looks natural with the ball in his hands. And and I think he checks that box really naturally. I'm intrigued by the shooting because he has decent footwork off screens. He has the ability to align his hips as a movement shooter. Like there were some sets that he was coming off of last year, some stagger actions and screen the screener looks where he's, He's drilling shots that you typically don't see anybody above six seven or six eight really get to. And and the release could be maybe a tad higher in some regards, but he's so long and, and probably has a seven three, seven four wingspan that it might not matter if it's at the absolute peak of, of his, you know, his high point or if it's a little bit lower. I just size and feel and shooting ability. If you check those three boxes on the offensive end you're a prospect that I want to work with and try to develop. And I think that Baba has all of those. He's got to gain consistency there, but uh, I'm, I'm bought in on the offense. Let's go to defense for a quick second though, if, if we can. Yeah. This, this is, this is the intrigue of him compared to probably anybody else that we're talking about. The, the true versatility in both scheme and position. I think he can guard probably two through four at Agreed. his size. Agreed. And if he fills out, if his body gets to a certain spot, you feel comfortable moving him to the five in smaller 100%. lineups at yep. the right times. And, and that that opens up lineup versatility for how you want to play. You can go small and, and skilled in closing minutes and play him at the five. And I think it'll allow him to play in switching schemes, yes. one-on-one in different things, You know, whether it's drop coverage. I can't imagine – trying to hit a pull-up jumper with him chasing you over the top of a ball screen more can i imagine if he's guarding you know a five and he gets a little bit of strength there he's going to be able to play angles and really alter a lot of shots in the mid-range so i I just i love the idea of what he can bring in terms of how he fits in any type of system any type of scheme like there's something a little bit Giannis or evan mobley like of just put him in any type of position in any type of role. He's going to be able to figure it out because he's fluid enough athletically and the way he moves allows him to do so much. I mean, the more ingrained I get into the NBA, you just realize how special a player is who can do the things you're talking about. So I don't, I don't want to go back through them, but you know, he can switch. Oh, he can drop. Oh, now he can go guard the ball and then get over the top. Like that that's incredible versatility. That's playoff value. Adam, right? That's playoff value, a big or a guard or whatever you want to call him, a 6'11 prospect that can do those type of things. I do think he has to get stronger, 
right? Like right now he's definitely defending on the wing. He's got to get stronger so he could hold up against a true five man and then also be able to defend. Cause right now I think five men would just bully him, but he's yeah. young, you know, he's young. I'm not saying that that's the end all be all, but yeah, the versatility he would bring. And I just want to say, if you buy the shot, if the shot is real, he's probably the most intriguing guy of the five we're going to talk about on this podcast. Because if the shot is real, all the other stuff is really good. And I don't even think he knows how to use his body completely offensively yet. He's going to become a better offensive rebounder. He's going to become a better lob threat. He's going to become a pick and roll dunker spot guy. And then also be able to space the floor. Like the the ceiling is very exciting to talk about as we work through this. I'm a huge fan. Uh, He's the guy that I have highest on my board out of anybody that we're talking about here tonight. And I think it comes down to, again, I buy the shot, but I see the pathway for upside for him to really utilize every single tool that he's been given. And, And part of the reason for that in my optimism about thinking why he's closer to that boom than he is the bust is that he picked the perfect collegiate system for him to be able to go to that, Year after year, we've seen Leonard Hamilton be able to uh, get unique pieces in his system and turn them into ready-made one-and-dones despite some questions coming into college. Patrick Williams, uh, Devin Vassell in some regards, Scotty Barnes. Scotty, yep. I mean, last year, you know, John Butler was not a, not a first-round pick by any means, but a unique, unorthodox type of player. And Hamilton is not afraid to let these guys do what's most natural to them. Scotty Barnes can be a six foot eight, six foot nine point guard. You know, Patrick Williams can play downhill with the ball in his hands a fair amount when he needs to. Uh, John Butler can come off screens and be spouted up in the corner because that's what's best for him. I think that Baba is going to find the right role offensively in this system to be able to show what he does best. While on the defensive end, we know what Florida State wants to do. They want to switch. They want to be aggressive in the full court. All things that are going to allow Baba to be kind of the best of who he can be. I do want to say, too, because he's playing at Florida State, though, he's probably not going to put up gaudy stats, Adam. Right. right? He, right. Leonard Hamilton plays a lot of dudes. But Scotty, I just looked it up while we're recording. Scotty averaged 10 points, Patrick 9.2, and they both were top five picks. So it's okay if Baba doesn't put up you know, these guys, and I'm not saying he's going to end up a top five guy, but I shouldn't say he's not going to put up Gotti stats. He's not going to average 15 points a game. It's not going to be that way, but it's okay. I think NBA scouts have probably learned how to evaluate these Florida state prospects, yes. knowing that some games Leonard Hamilton's going to go 10, 12 deep, and they just simply don't have the minutes. Exactly. And that's why I don't put too much stock into the numbers, into, uh, you know, what the, even the per 40 minute things like they're all going to be so skewed just because of yes. how, how little he plays in different areas. But Baba does have to crack the rotation. Yes. And I think what could be telling, and this is why there's the boom and the bus Leonard Hamilton loves to play multiple guys. If Baba is not able to be consistently in that top eight, top nine, even though he runs 10 to 12, if he's not leading that team in minutes in that you know, one through eight area there, it's going to be really hard to justify taking him as a pick this year that he might need multiple years in school. Whereas I still feel comfortable about the pro ceiling. I think it would benefit Baba to go for a second year at Florida state and become more of a, uh, an entrenched part of that rotation with the Seminoles, as opposed to, yeah, I played 10 minutes a game this year. I'm going to declare. And if I go in the second round, I go in the second round. Like he should be a first round pick. To me, it's whether it's this year or next year. Yeah, and that's that's the thing with him, right? There's a chance we're still a year away from the realization. We're probably two years away no matter what. Does he show enough this year to really see it and justify a first-round pick? Or is he a couple years away where he needs two years of that Florida State system and off, another offseason to grow and get stronger, and then we see it in a sophomore season and it becomes a first-round pick in 2024? Yeah, totally agree. Uh, you know, I have I have Baba at the top of my Miller list here. I go Baba, <laughs> Brandon, and then Leonard. Uh, any any thoughts from you? Which which or way you'd put them? I think I would put Baba uh, again. I think the ceiling is higher for Leonard. But if I was just betting on like outcome of being a quality NBA player, I would probably go Brandon over Leonard right now. 
Um, so we're, we're similar, but both with Bob, like I'm kind of like you, I've gotten more and more excited about him as we talked about him. Yeah, yeah for sure. So there was one guy on here, Bryce, that you wanted to bring up a little yeah. bit more as a potential boom or bust type of prospect. And, and when you mentioned him, I think you thought it would be a little bit hotter of a take with me than it actually I did. was. It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but I want to give you the floor to talk about the prospect and why you see this as potential for both boom and bust. Yeah, so Khalil Ware out of Oregon, the seven-footer, or I guess he's not out of Oregon, going to Oregon out of North Little Rock High School with my my favorite prospect, Nick Smith, who I absolutely love. But I'm just not sure if Khalil Ware doesn't shoot it. And we, we've talked a lot about being able to shoot the ball on this episode. And I mean, that's part of the game, biggest part of the game. Yeah. If he doesn't shoot it, which I've heard some intel that he has been shooting it well in his early time at Oregon, I think other than that, he's a seven-footer that provides rim gravity, and that's important. That's great. But to me, that's not a lottery guy. That's just a you know a good seven-footer who will have a good NBA career. You know, would Mark Williams go 15 or something like yeah. that? And Khalil Ware isn't Mark Williams defensively, in my opinion. I don't love the defense, Adam. I know he's going to block a lot of shots because he's seven-foot with that wingspan. But that's all he played for was like I would watch him literally stand on the opposite block, wait for the ball handler to get all the way to the rim and then try to block it from behind. I'm like, big man, that's not going to work. Like you got to come across. You got to be able to play with verticality. I don't know that he's switchable. I just I see the upside that some people like, but I definitely see a downside where he definitely busts. I see it, too. I I definitely see it, too. Uh, And the defensive end is probably where. Look, I don't mean to speak ill of any type of kid, right? I think we're rooting for everybody that we talk about. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. But uh, there are times when I am concerned about his motor, about how hard he's willing to play, what type of shape and conditioning he's going to be in. Can he be out on the floor for really long stretches of time? Is he going to be disciplined enough to do all the little things that you need? Because I think he's – mobile enough to be yeah, one of those sure. guys who can play the f- bigger four, like a, you know, an Evan Mobley type of four position where he's really more of a five, but you can get away with playing him at the four. Uh, and, and obviously we're talking about him primarily as a big man, as a five. If he's going to be a five at the NBA level, his habits and his attention to detail in order to be an effective rim protector have to change and they have to, catch up to his physical abilities really quickly because you can't just get by on being a seven footer who can block some shots in the NBA. It, it doesn't work. There are too many other really good disciplined rim protectors. And quite frankly, way too many good guards who know how to take advantage of you being the slightest bit out of position. If you're not funneling the ball in the right way, if you're not exactly where you need to be when a screen is set, you're going to get exposed. And Year after year, it takes young guys a long time to get used to this. We, we don't see a lot of rookies be able to come in and have an impact on the defensive end as a rim protector, as the guy who's guarding 20, 30, 40 ball screens a game. But if Ware is going to get there eventually, it's going to be about his habits, about his coachability in some regard, and just how hard he plays. Your, your Twitter handle is Motor City Hoops. Like he, His motor – is going to be what carries him to that level on the defensive end. To me, this is a conversation about intangibles as much as it is about where his skill level is at right now. Whether he shoots it, whether he is able to reel in different things on the offensive end to become efficient because he can handle and create a little bit. He's he's really solid near the basket, but it all comes down to the intangibles for me. And that's a hard thing to evaluate until you actually see it. Okay, that's what I was gonna say. That's so hard. That's as, as I've gotten into this more and more, I'm like, there's a lot of make or break aspects of these prospects, Adam, that we just simply don't have access to unless you know somebody on Oregon staff or know somebody on Duke staff or you know whatever it is. We don't know why did he not play as hard as he should have in high school. We don't know. You know, even with Team US, why did he not do the things you're talking about? Maybe there was a legitimate reason. You know, maybe the Oregon staff can unlock it. Whatever it is. And that's what's so hard whenever you're trying to evaluate these guys and predict and project what they're going to do in the NBA. So a name came to mind as we were talking about this. And so I have to ask you, what did you think about Walker Kessler going into last year's draft? 
because there's a lot of similarities for how we're talking about Khalil Ware for how I personally felt about Walker Kessler. There was a thought that he could be a stretch big. The, the block shots were historically good, right, by the metrics, but I thought he chased a lot of blo- shot blocks, yep. and I don't know how that translates to the NBA. Yeah, I was not very high on Walker Kessler. Okay. I did not have a first-round grade on him. You know, I think that the difference in these two is the natural athleticism and okay, fluidity fair. of the sure. way that Ware plays, as yes. well as a little bit more, like, creation with the ball in his hands on the offense. I've seen some some flashes of him just being a really toolsy seven-footer that can put the ball on the floor a little bit. I don't think that that is or should be his primary role at the next level. I think he's better as a screen-and-roll big who – occasionally pops who can space the floor when he's not involved in setting screens. So you can run action with different guys. Uh, but I think that there is a little bit more skill and fluidity to him than just being a true screen and roll big stand near the basket and try to block shots in the way that Walker Kessler is. No, that's fair. You're absolutely right. He, he definitely, I've probably undersold his fluidity as an athlete. And, and one thing I do like, I mentioned earlier with uh, I'm getting the Millers confused now with Brandon Miller was, you know, the position he had to play defensively for his high school team. What I liked about Khalil Ware is I saw him being put in a bunch of different situations defensively, hard hedge, switch, drop, all those different things. I'm like, even if he wasn't great at it, I love that he was put in those situations. When I watched the Derek Lively film, a lot of times he just stood in the middle of the lane and he never left. And I was like, he may end. He may end up okay. This isn't a knock on Lively, but I didn't like that. That's how he was being played necessarily. So I do like that Khalil Ware has been put in some more of those situations. Yeah, I mean the high school versus the AAU tape for Lively is very night and day because he yeah. had to play with Jalen Duran, uh, you know, a year ago, and that's that's a very different type of defensive circumstance. And you're probably dealing with on any type of high school team in the country. But I do get what you're saying. I, I do like that Ware was asked to do a lot of different things. I think the blessing of that is it shows that he's versatile. Yeah. The, cur- the curse can be uh, what is it that he's going to be best at? It's going to be a feeling out pl- process to try to feel that through, especially if the Oregon staff has a need for um, you know, where they would put him, and that's different than what his NBA role right, might be. Yeah, and that's I, I do want to mention I've found that very quickly as well is I only have access to certain film. And so sometimes I see the high school film and it's like, no, no, you got to see the AAU film or you got to see this. I'm like, oh, I don't have access to that. So, you know, sometimes I realize I have blind spots as an evaluator with these kids because I'm not seeing some of the games. Keontae George, I know I mentioned earlier, but he's a perfect example. The film I saw didn't showcase all the talents that I know that other evaluators in our world have seen. And, you know, they have a little bit higher of a ceiling for him because of that. It's I mean, I certainly have blind spots as a scout. There's no doubt about it. But I think it states why it's so important to see everybody in multiple contexts. Yes. Why college coaches need to watch both high school and AAU. Why NBA teams need to follow these guys from young ages and understand what type of prospect they were when they were 16 and 17 and the different systems they were played in and things they were asked to do. Because all of that context matters by the time it's draft day. It can't just be what was the last year of film we saw at college. That's the type of player we're getting now because that's putting a lot of faith in that college program and system to use that prospect exactly the same way that they should be used in the NBA. And that is very rarely the case of how things work out. Well, I mean, that was Chet Holmgren, right? Like a lot of people weren't aware, and I've never seen the film, but I've just talked to enough people to know there was more to his offensive game um, gosh darn it. The kid from UCLA's name is escaping me right now. They got drafted by the Nuggets. Didn't play a whole lot last year as a Peyton rookie. Watson. Peyton Watson. Um, yeah. I can't believe I forgot his name. You know, you look at his college stats and, and I make a joke that my college stats were better than Peyton Watson's and I didn't even <laughs> sniff the NBA. And I was, I was nowhere close like to, a, you know, any of that, but, but it, it had to have come. His draft had to have come from AAU, the grassroots high school stuff because he didn't necessarily put it on film in his time at UCLA. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. I mean, it's look balance in the evaluation process is key. 
some of us aren't going to have access to everything that we need. So we go off of what we can, but that's why NBA front offices end up at different <laughs> spots than, than we do, right? Our, yes. our big boards are going to look <laughs> a hell of a lot different. Uh, yes, sir. Last guy I want to talk about here, Bryce, just someone who I think is the definition of boomer bust this year is Dylan Mitchell out of Texas, supremely gifted athlete, you know, six foot eight looks the part when you see all the highlights jumps out of the gym, loves to play in transition and should be, a really good versatile on ball defender. Yes. I yeah. I don't trust anything on the offensive end right now. <laughs> and we you know, we talked about with Baba Miller, a player choosing the right type of college program for them. I don't feel the same way here about Mitchell to say that he's going to be a, a great first round pick. And part of the reason for that is because Chris Beard is generally thought of as a defensive minded coach. This is a kid who needs a lot of offensive skill development. And from what I know of, of Beard and haven't seen some of their team practice and, and what they prioritize, it's going to be a little bit less structured and organized on that end to the point where if it's April and May and we're looking back on the season, I'm going to feel really comfortable that he gained a lot on the offensive end to make him ready for an NBA impact. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the defensive versatility because that's what I like the most about Dylan Mitchell. Offensively, you're right. It's like uber athlete, but what's the skill set? You know, there's some of those guys, it's like, oh, he can really pass the ball. That's not Dylan Mitchell, at least not what he's shown. He's a menace on the offensive boards, which I love. I do want to make mention of that so I don't forget. Like, he attacks rebounds, Adam, yeah, and, yeah. And, and I love that offensively. I wish he did it a little bit more defensively, um, something that Jairus Walker, the kid going to Houston, does an incredible job of on the defensive boards. But offensively, Mitchell definitely does that. He is a lefty, so again, as I mentioned earlier, I think there's some natural advantages that creates. But you watch him, even when he would do like some nice uh, cuts into the post or whatever, mm -hmm. everything was over the right shoulder, left hook, and if somebody took it away, like Grady Dick at Sunrise Christian going to KU did a really good job taking it away, and Mitchell literally couldn't reverse pivot or step through to yeah. get to his other hand. And that's problematic because teams will scout you and take that stuff away. Yeah. Uh, to me, he's super, super raw, like not quite on my first round radar this year. I just, I, I'm going to have a really hard time seeing how much growth he needs in the offensive end, thinking that it's going to come around just in the next nine months before we get the draft day. So I'm, I'm a lot more skeptical on Mitchell really getting there, uh, particularly knowing that he thrives in transition and the NBA is less and less of a transition game. The deeper into the playoffs you go, the, the more important that the stakes are on the line. I, I, I see the upside, but I need to see a lot of growth on the offensive end to not be as scared away as I am right now. Yeah, I mean, I think where I don't know that he completely busts, and I know this isn't necessarily a context we're talking, I do think he can just go play in the dunker spot offensively and cut an offensive rebound maybe pick and roll didn't see that as much as what I would have liked. And then that defensive versatility does provide value. Again, going back to that game against Sunrise Christian, he matched up with Grady Dick. He was chasing him off screens and then he was guarding Mark Mitchell. Like I thought he did some really nice things defensively, but you're right in general, he's not going to survive in the NBA without either finding the jump shot or, or something. And I just don't know what that skill is going to be for him. Yeah. I mean, at six, seven, mate, like, that's really hard to get away with playing as more of a screen and roll or a dunker spot guy. And, yeah, and if you're, true. if you're, if you're going to do it, you've got like the, the closest example we had last year was Terry Taylor for the Indiana Pacers and how he was able to play. His motor is absolutely off the charts and he is such a high IQ basketball player that he can pass out of the short roll. You can play stuff through him at the elbows and he's going to make the right reads. Like it, It's very, very hard to do that because you need skill in other areas other than just not having a jump shot. It's not, he can't shoot, stick him down there. He's going to be fine. You have to be able to process the game at a high level. No, that's a great point because his passing has not flashed or been impressive. And so if you're going to play in the ball screen at times, you're going to have to short roll and make a decision. And if he can't do that, then none of the other stuff matters. And I think at times, again, we talk about blind spots and, and trying to learn and grow. I just want to take an Uber athlete and just, Put him in the dunker spot. Like you can go play in the dunker spot, but you know, six, seven, six, eight, 
only quote unquote only being six or seven, six, eight in the NBA matters because of the guys that are going to be in the lane that are just as athletic, but are six ten, six eleven, super fast off the ground, super fast recovering. And so he may not be as highly effective in that spot as maybe even what he could be at Texas. Yeah. It, it just, the lack of shooting. This is the theme of the podcast. And I feel like yes. it's the theme of every time I talk about this. If you are a questionable shooter in some regard, it just raises the bar in every other area of your game that you have to clear in order to make an impact on an NBA floor. And that's why with you know, this specific crop of guys, shooting is going to be a key swing skill because they are raw, because they are far away. If the shot isn't there, if there isn't a lot of projectivity to what that's going to look like at the next level, it may take longer than one year to get these guys ready for the NBA. Is, is Baba of the five we've talked about, is Baba the one you have the most confidence in? I have the most long-term confidence in him. I think of all of the guys on here, he's probably middle to lower tier of guys that I think would actually declare in 2023. Um, you know, I, I can easily see him being a top 10 pick in 2024, but I long-term have the most, uh, most faith in his game. And then Brand, would you say Brandon probably after that then? Brandon and Ware are, are neck and neck in that area to me. Uh, again, with Ware, it's, it's going to be a lot of stuff that I can't evaluate. So I'm, I know I'm going to be blown away by the film, but I don't have the access to be able to know if you know what causes some of the intangible stuff or if it's really improving. So he's kind of a hard one to put in this list. Uh, but yeah, Brandon next. And then I would have, uh, you know, Leonard below that. And, and, and I'm just, I'm kind of, I need to be convinced by the game film on a guy like Dylan Mitchell. Yeah, man, we just, we need the games to start. We're, we're so close to the NBA season. College stuff is starting up soon. Like we just, we need games. And I know, I know there's some stuff going on right now, uh, but I'm just ready for college basketball. I'm ready for NBA basketball and uh, so we can really start diving into this film. That's what I realized. I did like 20 breakdowns on these guys. And I'm like, it's going to be obsolete here in a few months because we're going to have all this new uh, stuff. But I I'm excited to dive back into it. Well, the junkies like us are really excited. And Bryce, no one is more of a film junkie than you. You do a fantastic job Thank breaking you. things down. It's been a pleasure having you on. Before we get you out of here, please let the people know where can they find you and what work do you have coming out soon? Absolutely. So if you're a Pistons fan by chance, listen to the Pistons Pulse podcast every Tuesday. My co-host is Amari Sankofa, the second Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. Um, and then my Twitter at Motor City Hoops would be Pistons and draft content. And my YouTube channel, Motor City Hoops, same thing, Pistons and NBA draft content. Coach Spins, Adam, like this was incredible. Thank you so much. I was so excited to join you. It was everything I was hoping for. I hope we can continue to work together on things in the future. And uh, uh, thank you for the opportunity. Always. Uh, for, for you viewers and fans out there, this is not going to be the last time that you see Bryce and myself working together. So be on the, on the lookout for collaborations in the future. But for now, thank you all so much for tuning in, listening, watching the podcast. Make sure you leave us a review, preferably five stars, and subscribe to our channels on, and uh, platforms across everything.